This is the Agile Business Athlete Show, a well-being podcast that shows you how to beat burnout and have more fun. In each episode, Leanne will be joined by special guests who will share their secrets of how they stay healthy and energized and the simple steps they take to prioritize good health. And if they can do it, so can you. And now over to your host, Leanne Spencer. My guest today is Marina Pearson. Now, Marina and I didn't know each other at all. We had a quick chat before we recorded, but I absolutely loved this conversation. We hit upon what I think are some really interesting insights. Marina was very honest, very reflective, and I think shared things that I hope you'll find very useful. And I suspect that at least some of you will get some identification with as well. We talk about the causes of burnout. We talk about values. We talk about red flags and non-negotiables for good health now and how Marina uses nature as a way of rediscovering what her true purpose is, what her values are, and really settles her emotional, mental, and spiritual health. So I think you're going to love this. Sit back, enjoy. This is Marina Pearson. Marina, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'd love to ask you a question about where you are right now. When we had a, a bit of a pre-talk last week, you were, oh, I had an international dialing code. I heard beautiful bird song in the background. You could be anywhere in the world with bird song, but I just got a bit of a Mediterranean vibe from you now. Am I right? Whereabouts are you? And, and, and tell us a bit of a story about what's taking you out there. Yeah, so I'm in a, I say a small town, but actually it's not that small. It's about 35,000 people that live here called Javier. It's on the east coast of Spain and in the Valencian community, La Comunidad Valenciana. And I came here, gosh, about six and a half years ago now, I think. Yeah, I'm half Spanish. So that was the draw anyway for me to come back to Spain. But um, I'd lived in Bali a few years before this and had my son there and knew that I didn't want to live in a big city anymore I was done with that and I knew that I needed nature and community and peace and quiet and so interestingly enough I had come to Javier many years before that with an ex-boyfriend of mine but I completely forgot about the place I just had a criteria that I was looking for and then I went on to Google and went okay I know I'm coming back to Spain because I know that I want my son to speak Spanish And what was interesting was that Javier kept coming up and it's just got this beautiful mountain that juts out, that is the background to this bay. And it looks like a volcano. And of course, I'd been in Bali for, you know, 14 months and I was just like, wow, that's amazing. Anyway, we came here for recce. And just before we came, I realized, oh, wow, it's the same place that I'd been here with that ex-boyfriend of mine. And I'd completely forgotten. Right. And what came to mind then was, oh, a conversation I'd had with him, which was, I really loved this place. I could really see myself living here. I don't want to leave. And at that time I was living in London and, and you know, there was nothing that was going to get me out of London. And yet, um, Javier called me back years later. So it was this really magical moment for me. It was almost like a meant to be kind of experience. And At that time, six years ago, I was in a very different place, the place where I am now. I came here for nature and I came here for peace and I came here for 
beach and I came here for mountain. And yet, the same as I did back when I went to Bali, because I went there for the nature and everything else, I took myself with me. And of course, when you take yourself with you and you're still kind of in that busy head type of experience and you're go, 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 doesn't matter where you are, you still yeah. live in the same way. By that, do you mean, I, I used to be a, I used to drink alcoholically. I'm coming up on 10 years sober. And in the sort of AA circles, we call it a geographical cure. It's hoping that if you move, you'll leave all those habits behind. And of course, it, there's no such thing as a geographical cure. But taking the alcohol out of that, is that the kind of thing you're talking about? You know, any old habits or negative patterns that you try and leave behind by physically moving? Is that what you're getting well, at? Well, it's interesting, yeah, because I'm glad that you picked up on that because um, when I went to Bali, that's what was going on. I thought that I could slow down. But instead, I did the same thing as I was doing back in London, which was to work eight hours a day, never really go out into nature, although it's surrounded by nature, but I'd be at the computer pretty much all day and that sort of thing. Tell us more about that. What were you doing for, for a job? What was your life like at that time? I was running retreats for women. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, the irony of this all. The irony, yeah. The irony. And what was interesting about this was that I, half was six weeks in of being in Bali, I felt like I needed to go into a retreat myself. And it was a really odd experience. It was like, I can't keep up with the amount of work that I'm supposed to be doing. And so I just need to go and almost like quarantine myself in a room. And then I realized, oh, I'm pregnant. So that was the beginning of a much slowing down phase of my life because I bit pretty much the universe just went stop. And I was in bed for about three months. I was exhausted. I couldn't move. I was... Wow. Sorry, is this while you were pregnant? Yes, at the beginning. Yeah. I think this is important and, and perhaps it's connected to or separate to pregnancy, but how were you feeling? And are you able in hindsight to identify some of those early warning signs that might be useful for, for listeners? I was exhausted because now I look back and I'm like, actually my body just, it just couldn't deal. And so I was in bed sick for about two or three weeks because I had no energy. And then I carried on after those three weeks as if it was completely normal, but I wasn't. I say, you know, three months because from the beginning to the end of those three months at the beginning, it's like I could feel the difference. But in bed, I was maybe in for about three, three weeks. Mm. And then I started again and then I wasn't listening again. And by the time I had Leo, I was once again exhausted. And I spent pretty much the first three months crying. And then over the next two years, I, I didn't realize that I had chronic fatigue, but I think I was definitely on that edge, plus yeah. postnatal depression, plus whatever else you want to call it. But I didn't know that at the time and I never really want, got diagnosed, but I didn't feel like I was bonding with Leo in the way that I wanted to. I was just exhausted. I would go to bed at like nine with him and then I'd wake up because he wasn't sleeping in the night. And then I would sleep about three to four hours a day. And that didn't seem to be enough. And that's when I suddenly thought, I actually have to go and get checked out because there's something not quite right with my body. And also my body being screaming. I mean, literally Leo would get sick every six weeks with a cold and I was basically there with him. And my colds were lasting for about 10 days. And that was really unusual for me because usually they would last for five, but yeah. 10. And then I would get sick again six weeks later. And I was just like, this is, this is not the way I want to live. And so then I went and got tested and I, and I actually started to get interested in my body. Like I, I was like, oh my God, I live in a body. I live in a body. What did you get tested in? 
Well, I decided to go the functional medicine route. And so I went and got tested for uh, parasites and H. pylori and bacteria. I got tested for the vitamins, minerals, all that, that sort of thing. We discovered that I was, there was a massive overgrowth of all sorts of things going on in my tummy and in my digestional tract. And it made sense. You know, I traveled half the world for so many years. I'd got sick and never really sort of decided to look into that. But over time, obviously, this hadn't been treated and it got worse and worse and worse and worse. And by the time that Leo came, what he highlighted for me was where my body needed attention. And so if it hadn't really been for Leo, I probably would have carried on. But I couldn't. It got to the point where it was just like, I can't ignore this anymore. And so I got tested. I went on a whole bunch of, I went on sort of a six-month protocol where I took certain things to de-parasite myself, de-bacteriatize myself, de-mold myself. And it really, really worked. My energy levels came back. I felt so much more in balance. And that was when I started to slow down. It was interesting because at the time I was still working and I was still, you know, running the retreats and coaching and, you know, being an author and all of these, all of these things. And I would have periods where I'd be like, I'd need to take some time out and then come back to it, take some time out. Yeah. And, and I realized that, that that was my body's way of being able to just recoup. Just yeah. I was to pause there because I'd love to follow up on the, what you've just moved quite quickly through into telling of the story, the functional medicine piece. And for the, for the benefit of listeners, functional medicine is something a lot of traditional medicine practitioners, GPs, for example, are becoming more aware of. But it's essentially a practice in its own right that addresses the gut first to resolve these issues, as I understand it. Um, So they look at your delicate ecosystem of bacteria in the gut um, and treat those because we now know that that bacteria can correlate to mental and physical health. Um, But from my experience of functional medicine, it's often quite a lot of changes that you've got to make. It's changes to diet, changes to stress management, changes to sleep, some interesting supplements and foods like sauerkraut and kimchi and kombucha, fermented foods that a lot of people are a bit averse to or unaware of. My question to you is, how did you make those changes? Did you do the easy ones first or did you go all in or did you pick and choose what you thought you could do relatively simply? Well, I worked very closely with my doctor. So he just basically told me what, what needed to get done. And I just followed that. And right. the fermented foods wasn't actually what I went through or what I did. I was much more on the chicken broth and bone broth, that sort of thing. Also, gosh, yes, there's lots of pills I had to take because parasites are not easy to find. Then they don't want, they want to live on their hosts. And so they hide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they 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 sort of hang out, and then you've got to take certain things. You can't take a parasite protocol without actually taking something beforehand because they need to be able to come out. I don't know. It was just there was a whole process that needed to happen for it to work, and it did. It was like literally, let's just blast them out of my mm-hmm. system, and. After about a month and a half, I started to feel so much better. But for me, where I really excelled, where I really felt the difference was actually the vitamin B12. Literally, that changed my life. I was just completely depleted. And vitamin B12 is an interesting one for me because it's certainly in a relationship. I've just had another test done about a month ago. And once again, 
there was a massive discrepancy. And once again, I'm, I was lacking. So I've had to go and have some shots. I'm taking my vitamin B12 again. It's an interesting one. I've got a particular type of gene that apparently doesn't allow for vitamin B12 to be processed that well. And, 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 but this is the journey I went on to actually understand what is the body I'm living in and what does it tell me and how does it speak to me? And I'm not going to keep on ignoring it, ignoring it as I have done. Because for many years, Leanne, I was anorexic. I disengaged with my body and let's just say I didn't have a particularly healthy relationship with it. But I came through and overcame that and then realized, oh, I have a body. Now, now what? Mm. <laughs> what do I do with it? Like, how do I commune with it like what is it because I've been doing yoga for years and yet the yoga I was doing was very much go 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 yoga as I call it It was ashtanga yoga which basically was a type of yoga that was for 20 year old men and I here was I like you know 30 year old women and and it's just like no your body is not supposed to be doing this at that age and I really had to start listening because I was living my life and choosing things that were very much go 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 go-getter type of way of being, even in the way that I was doing the sport. So Yeah, I think a lot of people like that. And I, I don't always see that as a negative, but I think the missing piece, which may be where we could pick up again on the story, if you like, is, is not recovering. It's not slowing down, not having this cadence. So periods of frenetic activity or making big demands on your body but then you've got to give it that rest haven't you which I think was what you were coming to and so I started to do things like full on energy and then pull back yeah full on energy and pull back and then what I realized was I was exhausting myself and I could never get actual consistency so I've played around with this myself and then I realized that actually well actually about a year almost two years now I had well, just after we came out of COVID, let's just say I had a major event happen with my the father of my son. That is where I then went, oh my God, I can't actually work and look after my son at the same time. I need to really take care of me and him. And so for the last two years, I've not worked. I have decided to take the time out for me and him. And it's been wondrous. And in fact, I could never go back to the way I used to be. It has been the thought of being on a computer for the amount of time that I was before I started this journey. I just can't. My computer now sits on the, on the desk. And I'm like, I can't remember the last time I actually looked at the screen. <laughs> Whereas it was like every day, every day, every day. And now it's like my screen is nature. I go into nature at least for two hours a day. And... This morning, I was actually rowing out on the sea. So to me, my relationship to my body and the environment around me has completely shifted by just taking this time out, which was really needed once again. But I can tell you, I was terrified because... So yeah, so I decided after this emotional rollercoaster that I'd been on with regards to the situation I found myself in, that... I wasn't going to just muscle and push on through, which is the way I used to do things. I was actually going to put my lifestyle first and let everything else fit around it. So I realized how much time I really needed to be spending with my son. For me, my work at the time was working with mums and helping them create a lifestyle that they could really thrive in. And it was literally type A mums who 
found it very difficult to balance their family life with their work. And they would constantly feel guilty all of the time. And it was always this sort of emotional push and pull, push and pull, push and pull. And I realized that, in fact, what was interesting about this was that I had been living that myself. I thought I hadn't until I came out of it completely and disentangled myself completely from my work. Because for many years, I had this very, I think it was quite, I was quite enmeshed in it. Like my identity was very much made around work and succeeding. And and um, my focus shifted. It just naturally innately shifted to wanting to spend time with my son and make that the most important thing. Because if I was really, really honest, it probably wasn't at the time. It was work and I had to work to be able to like afford the lifestyle that we had versus actually just going, what if I could have the lifestyle and not had to wait? There's two things I'd like to ask you about that is looking back, what were you doing? I don't want to say wrong, but that was contributing to that feeling of chronic stress or possibly burnout. You've not used that word, but can you look back and see what lessons have you learned from that? What things will you avoid doing? And then I'll ask you the opposite of that question in a second. I used to use work as a way to stop feeling. It's interesting. It was my go-to. If I was on the computer, I wouldn't have to feel. Um, If I was on go, 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 I wouldn't have to feel. It was a distraction really from what I was feeling. I mean, you yourself, you know, shared today about drinking. Well, it's, it, we've all got our, our ways of, of wanting to disassociate. And for me, I realized that it was definitely work was definitely one of them. And because as I said, I would work and work and work and work and work and work. And, work. and it wasn't a healthy relationship. And so it was like, well, that's interesting. That's something I need to look at. And interestingly enough, when I started to explore this sort of, slowing down, taking time out, communing with nature. I realized something that really hit me and it was that my mother for many years had lived the way that I was living. And at the the age of 58, she was diagnosed with cortical basal degeneration, which is a degenerative disease of the lower cortex. Now, I don't know whether the lifestyle that she was living had anything to do with that or whether it was genetic or a combination of both. But I vowed that I would never go down that route. And yet I was living the way that she used to, which was getting up Mm. at five o'clock in the morning and working, 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 working. Sort of learned behaviors can be very powerful, can't they? More, More so than I think we appreciate. I think what you've just shared, by the way, about using work as your particular instrument to avoid feeling is very, very common. It's, it's, um, it's bold of you to admit it. And I think for a lot of people listening, will get a lot of identification from that. But connected with that, what did you get from the work as well as being able to push aside feelings you didn't want to be in? Did you get something else from it as well? I mean, very commonly, it's sort of self-esteem, self-worth can come through work, which is a positive and I'd say a negative. What, what did you get from that? Or was it purely about blocking other feelings? That's really interesting. I think it was a combination of both. Because, you know, doing the work I used to do, I loved it. I loved seeing my mum's transform. And I loved doing the work I used to do here with them. And it was a shame that we got code because it was working really well. But it wasn't the work itself. It was the way that I came to it, you know. It was always a bit of like, well, we've got to get this done and this and this and this. And I've got to produce, got to produce, got to produce, got to produce. And, and sort of like, it was a disassociation with the body, I guess. But on the other hand, yes, there was an element of attaching my success to my identity, I suppose. Mm. And having to disentangle myself from that was very, very important. 
and realizing that actually I'm not my work and realizing that actually I'm actually far happier without it. (laughs) (laughs) And there are, once you really focus on how you want to live, that becomes actually the most important thing for me to have the time, to have the space to be able to choose to see my partner when I want, within reason, he doesn't live here, but in Javier, but he, we see each other as we can because he also works from home. To know that when my son comes home, that I'm with him, that we get to hang out together. And I don't have to be thinking about, oh God, did I send that email? Or now I've got a campaign to launch. And, 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 and I, I didn't want to live that way anymore. I didn't. Mm. And so the minute I got really clear on how I wanted to live, it kind of unraveled its, on its own. It was very interesting to watch. It was like, if I want to live the way I want to live, then this means that I have to do this and this and this. So I moved out mm-hmm. of the villa that I'm selling now, but moved out, I moved into a smaller apartment. I rented the villa out for the year and that gave me the space to be able to hang out with my son and go for long walks and commune with nature and live that way. But I could have done that years ago, Leanne. I could have done mm-hmm. that. Years ago, and yet I was too scared, too wrapped up, couldn't, like, I couldn't, I was just too in it for me to yeah. see that actually I could be living in it in a different way. And now that I have, wow, I could never go back into an office. That was never, well, I was never going to be able to do that anyway. It's just such a no brainer for me. I cannot, like, beforehand, I used to fit my lifestyle around my work and now it, would, it has to be completely the opposite it has to mm. be lifestyle comes first work has to fit around it because you asked me about my non-negotiables and basically that's it the work right. I do and so I moved in and, and and what's interesting is that when I got that clarity of like lifestyle first how can I set my life up so my lifestyle comes first and so right. selling this space has come with a lot of like heartaches. I love it. And yet the one, the space I'm moving into is fit for purpose. It has a two bedroom up apartment down upstairs and a two, three bedroom apartment downstairs. So the intention is that I rent the apartment downstairs during the winter time and then rent the entire villa. And I go off and do whatever I need to do during the summer. Mm. Let it be easy and let that be what creates the finances for me to be able to live the way I want to. Now, if I had carried on and made other things more important, this decision would never have even come into my awareness. So no, I have to work to maintain being here. You know what you just said about, you know, I, I can't believe I didn't see this sooner or words to that effect. I mean, there's there's not a week goes by that I don't think that either after 20 years of drinking, 10 years of doing something stronger and, and, and illegal, and then 10 years of actually getting on with life. I'm, I'm Don't get me wrong, I had some fun and good memories and everything else, but I do feel like it's a separate life. And if only I'd just got on with, with sorting everything out a bit sooner, but that's not how life works, right? Intellectually, lifestyle first, get it, simple. But the practicality of it, the application of it is much harder. We have to come to things in our own time. Before we go on to to your life now, I just want to ask you one last question. Is there anything that you miss about what you used to get from work? Let me explain what I mean by that. In Quite often when one gives up an addictive behavior, whether it's work, gambling, sex, drink, drugs, etc., what you miss is some of the highs, the dopamine rushes, you know, and and I wonder if there's aspects of working at that fast pace that you miss. And if so, how have you substituted that in a healthy context? I or does that. none of that apply to you? 
I love that Which question. Which you might not. <laughs> <laughs> I love that question. And I don't miss the dopamine rush, actually. I really love the space far more than I do the dopamine. And I love the fact that I can commune with nature in a very quiet and refreshing way. And I guess if there was anything to miss, it would be my connection with my clients. I, I, to me, that was so beautiful. And then coming here and then seeing like their transformation. But what's interesting is that me moving into this new space that I'm moving into and deciding to create a space downstairs, an apartment. And so that is work for me now. Like mm. I knew that this year that it's almost like when you're living this way, it's very much like, so now what? And I just had this strong sense that this year was really about bringing in the money again. And while still living that lifestyle that I want. And so it was very much like, well, okay, I move in there. I create a beautiful space downstairs. I can rent that out. But that the next sort of three months, is going, that's going to be my work. Hmm. Choosing what's going to go downstairs, choosing where things are going to go, making decisions around this, learning as I go, because I have never done a, a refurb job. So that would be interesting. Yeah. And learning about space, it's something that's really kind of come into my awareness recently, which is I love spaces. And I've always been a bit obsessed with buildings. Like when I used to go to like, cities I used to take photos of the buildings and then I used to have I love like cities like Singapore just like oh just lots and lots of photos of buildings mm. and I've been sort of in property I've got property and I've been sort of in it for the last 10 years 12 years 13 years and I've always had a good eye for spaces I just suddenly started to feel like a nudge towards that the slowing down itself had not only allowed me to get really clear on the lifestyle I want, but also having the patience to let things emerge on their own. Mm. Yeah, they just, they don't have the headspace, there isn't the headspace when you're going at full tilt. No. So it sounds like you've got something coming up that you really love, but it also sounds with a couple of, of words you've used like refit, rebuild or whip out, something like that, that... <laughs> That there's a lot of work coming up as well. So you might say that this is a kind of a, a big event coming up. And given everything that all well, the context that you've just given us, are you doing anything to prepare mind and body for what's potentially going to be a more stressful event? And if so, what are you doing? Are you sleeping more? Are you meditating more? Are you going to do more nature walks? What, what's that going to look like for you? Well, it's a great question. And as I share with you today, I went out rowing. And what I noticed yep when I come back is that I am so much more in my body again. And so I realized that actually it's so interesting and I don't know if this happens to you, but when I get into my head and I am in my thought storms, as I call them, I'm in there and I'm living out this sort of very stressful horror movie in my head. The first thing to go is my self care, which is quite interesting. It's almost like this sort of like, eh, if I'm in it, I'm in it, I'm going to be in it. And I was like, last night, I was like, why do I do that? That's just not helpful. So anyway, because last night I was like, oh, I'm not going to go to rowing. And, and I was like, no, it's really not that helpful. So go. Anyway, I went and, and I was like, why don't, no, that is really my priority is that I noticed how incredibly wonderful it is to have that opportunity to do that. And so I'm currently rowing twice a week, but I think I'll throw in another one. <laughs> so you're kind of building that that mental 
resilience, aren't you? And the, the discipline of going because it gives you positive mental health benefits by the sound of it, it but does. also kind of building up more physical resilience for what may be a more stressful time to come. And I think one thing you said the word connection earlier, but you've obviously made that so important connection between when I do this, I feel like this, therefore I must continue to do it. And I think that is a, such a simple thing to articulate and people listening will be going, yeah, sounds easy. It's, it's not. It's, it's, you've really got to work at establishing that connection because that's what makes something non-negotiable. And when it's non-negotiable, by definition, you know, you, you make it happen. You make the time for it. And the other thing I notice, Leanne, is that my eating habits get thrown out of the window when I don't organize myself properly. Yeah. And when I don't organize myself properly, it's usually because I haven't made the time. If I don't make the time to look after myself, I don't. And so I know it sounds really trite what I've just said, but I had this epiphany about three years ago where I was like, I, eat, I don't eat well because I don't make the time to eat well. <laughs> Again, you, can, you put it into words and you think, yeah, but it's just not that simple, is it? Yeah, and so it takes time. What I know is mistakes, mistakes along the way as well until finally you've had enough. It wasn't, I I love to eat well. And then I was like, actually eating well takes time to organize. It takes understanding what you want to eat during the week. It takes understanding what ingredients you need. It takes understanding of, of all of that to then go, right, what's in the fridge? Is there anything I can eat right now that's healthy? Well, there isn't because I haven't made it. Therefore, I'll just go for something that's already been pre-packed, pre-sourced or whatever. So I realized that actually taking care of me, I need time to do that. And if I'm not giving it, then it won't happen. So that's also something that we don't give much time to. And I certainly didn't used to. And I noticed that I'm not doing that when I'm not eating well. And then I kind of go, okay, back to how I know I need to do this, which is taking the time, making that a priority, and then putting everything else on the back burner and, and, and letting the nature, food be the priority and the focus and, and let everything else live around it. But old habits, you know, <laughs> they die hard. So I've managed to undo a lot of that and untangle myself from conditioned a way of living but now and again they <laughs> it's sort of like it yeah. comes back things in. creep back in so what yeah. do you do when they do I just notice right. I notice I'm like ooh, hang on uh, I just notice and there are ways of noticing just how I feel in terms of tired how I'm going to the toilet which is a big one for me sorry mm-hmm. no <laughs> I mean that's, that's your truth <laughs> and you know what it probably is for a lot of people as well you know if you're not drinking enough water the body's stressed it's holding on quite literally and that's one of the ways it can manifest yeah exactly and so I notice I just notice and just generally speaking I, I eat pretty well you know I'm making my my chicken broth as we speak um and you know when I look back to how we used to live especially here in Spain the mother used to be at home all day mm. looking after the family And that would mean getting up in the morning and preparing food. I think nowadays we've lost that way of being. It it seems to be the last thing we think about. It's like convenience over preparation and time because we don't have the time. And it's actually, well, it's not that we don't have the time. It's just you're not making that a priority. The minute we realize that it's just not being a priority and that we can prioritize it, that's when things start to change. 
if we're honest with ourselves and go, it's not the time thing, that's not true. Because if you, you've got time to go on Facebook, you've got time to, I don't know, do whatever you need to do that gets done. You're just not making this a priority. That's all. It's, it's fine. Mm. It's just whether or not. And I think more honest conversations like that can really bring about a lot more change because it's easy to blame it on the lack of time thing. I just don't have the time when it's actually, no, hang on a second. Mm. I do have the time. I'm just not making this a priority. Why am I not making a priority? What seems to be more important than my health? What seems to be more important than this? And isn't that interesting? Then you can start to unravel. You can start to have a really honest conversation with yourself. Otherwise, yeah. you can't. You're not taking responsibility there. So, yeah. I think a crucial part of avoiding or recovering from burnout or just maintaining good health is understanding what the red flags are for you. You've just articulated two of them about eating and then around digesting. It's knowing what they are. When they go up, listen or pay attention. I think what we've become really used to as human beings is particularly type A's, but all of us in a fast paced world, a world that wants you to move quick, buy stuff, underpinned by what I consider to be quite junky values very often. We've just become really good at ignoring the signals the body sends. And it does send them. And then it'll start to send, you know, if it's mental issues, it could be physical signals, but those, those signals become symptoms and they'll get worse and worse until we pay attention. So whatever they are for the individual listening, you know yours, I know mine. Don't ignore the red flags when they come up. Stop, take action, notice, to use your, your great word. I think it'd be so, so crucial. And use the word connection. We used it a couple of times. I think we've become quite disconnected to our bodies, to kind of bring it back to what you were talking about at the start. Disconnected to the signals it sends, disconnected to what's really important. Let's talk a bit about nature in the, the, the last sort of five minutes or so, if we can, because you've brought that up a few times. I absolutely love nature. It's For me, it's incredibly relaxing. It's how I recover, whether it's a micro or macro recovery. What do you enjoy about nature? What does that look like for you on a weekly basis? Oh, I've just got tingles everywhere and I'm just getting really emotional. <sighs> for me, nature is um, like coming home. It holds me. It reminds me. Where, of where I come from and it gives me the energy to breathe I'm a huge advocate of beauty and I've been a skier all my life so the mountains have been a really big part of that and being able to look at wake up in the morning and having a view of the mountains or waking up in the morning having a view of a tree or a water whatever it might be it's just so healing for me personally we inhabit spaces, right? Like we used to, I mean, we, we inhabit spaces. We have done since we were living in caves. But we've lost sight of what it is to be and commune in nature. So I sit under a tree sometimes. I go and hug it. I know tree hugging. I used to think that that was crazy. But I feel energized after that. Trees are super intelligent. I was reading this mm. amazing book where they communicate with one another yeah. when one is ill. <laughs> They send minerals to the other to make sure. It's extraordinary, isn't it? It's extraordinary. And so we know so little, and yet it's what is here. And mm. I had a huge epiphany one day when I was pregnant with my son. And I know this may sound a little bit woo-woo, but I won't apologize for it because it was a really big, mind-blowing experience for me. So much so I couldn't speak for about 10 minutes. The insight was simply that we are one. Now, I'd heard that in the spiritual circles, but I hadn't really seen it for myself until I realized, oh, the energy that is creating my son is the same energy that created everything else around me. I'm not 
creating my son and energy is this life force energy is if you look at a plant it turns towards the sun if it needs that if it doesn't it turns away there is intelligence in terms of like plants that you could put together so one protects the other there are herbs that you can use to keep away mosquitoes there's just such an intelligence that exists in nature and i saw clearly that we come from that same life force we are mm. not separate from it we are it mm. we just manifest in this form of a human being and i was like well if that's the case then no wonder i feel so connected to it this is actually where i come from so for me i just after having lived years in cities i mean as i was a real city girl but i'm like no wonder i was so disconnected I spend most of my time drinking in bars and going to restaurants and, mm. you know, and I'm not saying that I'm not partial to that. It's just how did I used to live that way? I can't even begin to imagine because I grew up in the countryside. I just never really understood the magic until yeah. I really slowed down and gave myself the opportunity to really commune with nature. And by communing, I mean, hugging trees, speaking to them on occasion, asking for advice. I know it feels weird, but it may sound like a complete crazy lady. However, I see the magic in it and I see the power that it has. And yeah, I prefer to live that way than, than, than not. <laughs> and let's finish on that. I couldn't agree with you more, by the way. I think what I'm striving to do on a daily basis is become more symbiotic with nature, to live alongside nature. So let's leave it there. Marina, thank you so much. It's been a really, really interesting discussion and you, you've been very open with us. I appreciate that. Thank you. Want more? Take our Wellbeing at Work company scorecard and get a free personalised report full of actionable insights. Or if you're interested in finding out what your health IQ is, take our Health IQ scorecard. Links can be found in the show notes. And finally, if you've enjoyed the show, please take a moment to share and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Thank you.